Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and in today's episode, I'm really, really excited because you're going to get to meet Mitch Russo, and uh, I consider Mitch a friend. We've known each other for a number of years now, um, just a brilliant, brilliant business person, and uh uh, I think you're going to get a ton out of our time together today. So let me tell you a little bit about Mitch. So Mitch started a software company in his garage, uh, which he ultimately sold for eight figures. And then he went on um, as if he didn't have uh, anything better to do. I uh, could have retired at that stage, but went on to work directly with uh, Tony Robbins and uh, and Chet Holmes uh, to build a business together. Um, he has uh, since... Uh, retired from that stage of his life and now moved on to the next stage. And he's uh, helping other businesses build what he calls the invisible organization. In fact, he wrote a book about it, which is an excellent book. If you haven't read it, you need to go get it. Uh, We'll tell you where to get it, hopefully during the course of the interview. Um, But uh, he's really an expert at helping businesses think through how to create a, a virtual company, a company that, that doesn't require physical space that really runs um, on system and uh, very, very good at it. And so Mitch, I'm, I'm super excited to have you here. I'm glad we finally uh, were able to get this on the calendar. Uh, so welcome to the Unstoppable CEO. Steve, it's my pleasure and privilege to be talking to you today. So thank you. So uh, you've had um, just an incredible career in business. Maybe to help give everybody some context, um, Tell us a little bit about how you got started. Sure. Well, you know, a lot of us talk about our uh, our experiences building companies, and, and we'll get to that, I'm sure. But where I really got started was in the basement of my mom's house at the age of 16. And <laughs> the reason I say I started there is because uh, we put together a rock band at the at again at the age of 16 and four friends from high school and we got together every Saturday we practiced and man we had a lot of fun and there was a real primary reason I decided to put the rock band together and it was to meet girls because I was young and awkward and I didn't really know how to approach the opposite sex but I figured a rock band would help a lot so I, I picked up the guitar and I got lessons and I studied and I loved the guitar. And then I got a bunch of guys together and we started playing just about every Saturday. And man, we had so much fun. Uh, and it was kind of cool in the beginning. We would get high, smoke a joint before we'd start practicing. And it just was so much fun to do it until one day I decided to turn on the tape recorder. And while we were practicing, just to see how it sounded, And I got a big surprise after we stopped practicing and played back the tape. You know what that surprise was, Steve? I have no idea. (laughs) We sucked. (laughs) (laughs) What what came out of our practice area that that morning was so bad that I wouldn't subject cats to it. But (laughs) what it did is it led me to, to decide that if we're going to be a band, then we can't get high on practice day. And if we're going to be a band, we're going to have to be disciplined enough to learn and practice individual songs until we got them right. 
So we did that, and we 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 went into the basement, and it, we could spend an entire day or even two days on one song until it got to the point where it was as close to pro- perfect as we could get it, and that was really my goal. And you know uh, that became very important to me, and I realized later as we continued to add songs that you know we don't we can jam like anybody else, but for us it was really important to do it do it the right way. And then, then we started getting jobs and we started, uh, finding that we were being hired as uh, sweet 16 bands and sorority fraternity bands, but we were too young to drive. So we had to have a little driver guy in a truck help us out. And, and we did that and we got requests to do dance music. And, and truthfully, Steve, you know, we don't like dance music. We were hard rockers. I mean, we were playing Jimi Hendrix and Cream. We, there was no dance music in our true, you know, in our true voice, but we learned it. And, you know, we went out there and we played a few dance numbers and they kind of sucked too. So we, we decided that uh, maybe we shouldn't do that. But the bottom line was that we started out charging a certain amount and I tried the experiment of price testing and raising prices until I got real resistance. And we had gotten to the point where, and this goes back to, I mean, this is like 1970. We were charging $500 an evening for our little band to play. And I mean, today, uh, you know, DJs get more than that. So, uh, but back then it was a lot of money. And then after every gig we played, and I know that we would always do a good job, we would get a testimonial from every single mom who hired us. So we'd bring a clipboard and a pencil and we'd ask her to write the testimonial. And she did always. And it was great. And then when we got home, we would uh, take, I would pull a sheet out of my, my school notebook and I would write uh, a, a short uh, write-up of, of last night's event. And I would send it to the local newspapers and we started to get press and it was unbelievable. And and so years later, and the band broke up, of course, after we got a little bit older and graduated high school. But years later, I had realized that these were the lessons that I had used to build every company I had ever been involved with, with at, ever since then. So my first lesson was to be disciplined and be disciplined with yourself and your team, even if they don't like it, <laughs> because in the end, it pays off. And that's what we did. The second lesson was don't deliver a substandard product. And the reason I say that is because we practiced every single Saturday, even if it was just one song, to get it right. And, you know, the other thing is, is that that requires focus. And that was lesson three. And now I'm going to quote a famous American philosopher. And Steve, I know you know his name. His name is Colonel Sanders. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Well, Colonel Sanders said something really, really important that stuck with me for a long time. He said, we do chicken right. Remember that? I do. Well, you know, they don't sell hot dogs. They don't sell pizza. They don't sell anything but chicken. And to me, that meant focus. And that became lesson three. We focus, instead of trying to play dance music, we just focused on classic rock, which is what we, wasn't called classic back then, but it was just rock and that's what we focused on and then finally lesson four was how to assess our true value in the marketplace we did pricing experiments well to this day in anything we do we still do pricing experiments then the idea of getting a testimonial well that's lesson five 
And to this day, as you know, uh, testimonials are a great source of credibility and potentially getting new business. And finally, lesson six was all about spreading the word. And later when I started my software company, the entire company was based on public relations. So these were the lessons that I learned at 16 years old, building, growing, and having fun in my band. So that's how we really started, Steve. Great, great lessons. Uh, what, <laughs> what a fun way to get started in business. Um, I know. Yeah, I, I wish mine had been quite so adventurous, but uh, I don't have I don't have a story like that. That's wonderful. So look, you, you have starting now we know at the age of 16, after building your, your band into a success, um, you know, you've I don't know, I can't even count how many companies you're on now. Um, you, you've done this a number of times, you've done it successfully, again, and again, and again. And look, we all run into roadblocks along the way. Nothing happens in in a, a perfect world where, you know, you just sort of walk through it and, and everything's great. So what are some of the things that, that you've drawn on when, you know, you hit the brick wall and uh, and you got to figure out how to get through it? And what are what are some of the mindsets or the frameworks that you've used to push through? Absolutely. Um, well, again, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about one of those moments. Uh, this happens at the beginning of building and starting Time Slips Corporation. My partner and I uh, got together uh, to have breakfast and I shared with him the problem I was having about not being able to deduct my personal computer from my taxes. And I, he said, well, what do you need to do that? And I said, well, the IRS says I need a log of its usage. And I said, that's a real pain in the butt. I mean, a log of its usage, really? So he said, well, okay. And he went off without telling me. And he built one. And so I got really excited. And I said, you know, we could start a company around this software product that keeps track of the PC usage so people can deduct it from their taxes. Well, it turns out that we actually did, and we quit our jobs. We went to work for five and a half months building this little product, and just at the point we're about to launch, the IRS relaxed its ruling on what it called contemporaneous record keeping, and our product was now useless. So we hit a brick wall, Steve, and you might say that for we at that moment in time wanted to say, well, you know, my goodness, I mean, what do we do now? But what we decided to do instead is we decided to keep pushing and we decided to try and figure out where what we had just developed might have value to others. And uh, miraculously, because of that attitude, that day, later that day, we ended up coming up with something that later turned into our big idea. Instead of keeping track of computer usage, why not keep track of client time? And we recrafted the product. It took another three months and turned it into time and billing software for lawyers. And that's exactly how we launched the company. Time slips became time and billing software for lawyers. And you know, there were so many of these moments, Steve, where you ask about how do you overcome adversity. I mean, there was a point where we were growing so fast and we were running out of cash. We, at one stage, completely ran out of cash. Our upgrade was late. 
we knew that that upgrade would deliver millions uh, when it was launched, but we had payroll to make. And we went to the bank and the bank said, I'm sorry, but your line of credit is fully drawn. There's nothing we can do. And I turned to my partner and I said, look, pull out your credit card. We have to make payroll. And we we basically pooled all of our credit cards and we withdraw the maximum amount from every single one of them. And that's how we made payroll. And thank goodness the next day we got a, well, the next week we got a distribution order and that helped us cover what we had just taken off of our credit cards. But, you know, business is a series of obstacles that we must overcome. And in my world, you never fail until you decided that you've been defeated and you quit. So I just decide in advance not to quit if I if I have that option. Uh, I think um, maybe that's the most fundamental strategy for uh, for overcoming some of these challenges that, that crop up, but, but maybe the most important, uh, is just being resolute from the beginning that, that you won't be deterred. Um, you know, it's, it's funny listening to you describe that situation. I, I have that sinking feeling and I, I would imagine just about everybody who's ever had to make a payroll has had that sinking feeling like, uh Oh, you know, I hope I get that one more check in, um, so that, that we can make this or, or I've got to make a hard decision like you had to make. Um, and, uh, you know, I think very few people on the outside who, who haven't run a business really understand what that, what that is like, the challenge that that presents and, uh, and the real strength that it takes to, to stand up and, and, uh, you know, take the right action, um, in, in the face of that. So, um, I appreciate you sharing that story and you, you hear it a lot in business, but, uh, it's, I think it's it's useful to 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 hear it and understand that people make it through that all the time, um, primarily by being resolute and and saying we're we're going to do it. Exactly, I totally agree, Steve. And and again, it's happened so many times at this point that you get numb to it in a good way. You know, uh, you don't really. I think at this point you look back in your history and you say, well, look, you know, I've been through this before. Uh, this isn't just a small obstacle compared to the things I've already experienced. I mean, there were times, Steve, when, I mean, we were generating at the software company, we were generating seven, eight $800,000, $900,000 a month, and we didn't make our number, meaning reach our goals, until in, until we were literally at the last day of the month. And that happened several times. So on the last day or the second to the last day of the month, we're scrambling, calling around to all of our distributors and all of our chain stores, seeing if we can get something shipped to make our number. So this is just stuff everybody does in business because this is how you build the business. Yeah, and and it's it's often very, very messy. Nobody likes to to deal with that part of it, but it's often very, very messy. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this or not, but we were actually, my first company, we were a customer of yours. Um, I don't oh, know. No if kidding. You, yeah, we used time slips for a, a period of time. Um, I don't know if you owned the company at that point or not, but um, but yeah, we were uh, so small, uh, very small world, and um, I don't know if I ever mentioned that we had that that little connection. But uh, so you've now um, you know you went through and you built time slips, made it successful, you sold it, you went on then to work with 
Tony Robbins and, and Chet Holmes and help them um, build a very different type of company in many ways. Um, and, and in doing so, you seem to have perfected how to how to create this this elusive type of company that a lot of people are working towards now. I know we we work virtually. Um, you've create you created for them a company that that operated, I guess, a hundred percent virtually. Um, it's hard enough to manage people when they're with you physically. What did you learn as you were building that? What were what were some of the big challenges that that you you had to overcome to get to a point where you built a really vibrant, successful company with a, a, an entirely virtual team of, of that size? Sure. You know, the question, the, the, the word you used is elusive. And I love the fact that you use that word, Steve, because it is, it's not visible. And when you look at the problem, you don't see the solution because it's, it's invisible. And, Hence, the invisible organization, which is, as you know, the name of my book. We explain this process uh, by diving right into it. And here's what it comes down to. If you are concerned or worried that if you were to send your people home to work, that you would lose control, what would happen if you found out that it was the exact opposite that was true? You'd actually end up with more control and more productivity measurement than you have if they're in your building. You see, that's part of what the secret is. The part of the secret is, is that we care too much about things that are less important than they should be. That are maybe, I mean, I should say it, we care too much about things that are more important than they should be that are actually less important. I'll give you an example. You have a company, you have a building, it's located 10 minutes off the highway, off of in, in any city in the entire country, any city or town. And the people who work for you get in their car every morning and they, they sit in traffic. Some hopefully don't sit in too much traffic, but in California, it's very common to sit in an hour and a half to two hours of traffic to get to work. And then they get to work and what do they do? Well, I mean, they're exhausted from that drive. They either rush into a meeting, they're bleary eyed. And then they go to the coffee machine, they hang around, they enjoy some coffee, particularly, you know, with the colleagues, uh, they chit chat a bit, then they go back to their desk and they get on Facebook. And of course, you know, this is at your company, these people are doing this. And if you don't think they are, <laughs> surprise, you know, they are, I'm sure you do. And then at that point, they get around to doing some work. And at that point, you know, what they do is they're sitting there and there's their phone. And if somebody calls and it's a personal call, they may call on the cell. So they take the call. Or they may be texting or they may be watching the Twitter feed. All these things are what people are doing when they come to work for you. And if you don't think that's happening, wake up because I believe they are. I believe it happens more than people believe. So then what ends up happening, it's lunchtime. And they need a break after all. Look how hard they've worked so far. And now they're going to get together with a couple of guys, go down to the cafeteria if you have a cafeteria. If not, they're going to jump in the car. They're going to go find a restaurant or they'll eat at their desk. But again, what they're doing at this point is they're taking time away from their desk and from the company. You don't know what's going on when they get home, when they get back. And the other thing is, is that you might even care 
about what time they get back. You might even care about what time they get in in the morning because you have a rule that says everybody has to be there at 8 o'clock. You may not be that concerned about what time they leave as long as they leave after 5 or 5.30. But you don't know what they're doing between then and 5.30. So all of this goes on at your company today. So now let's contrast that with a virtual company. Let's take that same uh, employee and let's send them home. So now we sent this person home. They don't need to get in the car. They don't need to dry clean their clothes. They don't need to go to a restaurant. Now they get to wake up and they get to, in maybe even in their pajamas, sit down at their home computer and get to work. And they're going to log into a system that monitors their activity. And at that point, they're going to be working for the company. And if they want to go get a snack, they log out of the system. They go get a snack. They go walk their dog. They go meditate. They do anything they want. And when they're done, they log back into the system and get back to work. You see, at this point, you must be thinking to yourself, for heaven's sakes, these guys must be pretty grateful. After all, they don't have to spend money on gas. They don't have to spend money on food. In fact, some families decide they don't even need two cars anymore because what you've done is you've given them the gift of being able to work from home. And you know from the law of reciprocity, Steve, that if you give somebody a gift, they generally give you something back. And what you get back is increased productivity. And, you know, there's a, a famous Stanford University study that was conducted in 2014 that the name of the study is Does Working From Home Work? And what Stanford University had proven was that there's a minimum 13% increase in productivity from people who work from home. Why? Because they don't have to commute because of all the reasons we named. But here's another huge advantage. We don't care anymore about the things that were non-tangible. We only judge people on one aspect, their performance. Think about how simple that makes a review process. Think about how simple that makes the hiring process. Also think about how rewarding it is to all of a sudden not have to upgrade your office space, not have to pay. Uh, in fact, you can even start to downsize your physical office space not pay for <clears throat> utilities or parking, not pay for all of the things that you're paying for now to maintain a facility. Steve, I had a quarter million dollars invested in a phone system at Timeslips Corporation. I had 50, 60, 70 desks and cubicles that I had to wire, that I had to put instruments in place for, that I had to heat and cool and ensure all of that goes away with a virtual call center. Now I need no hardware at all. In fact, the computers people are taking calls on are not even mine. Look at how much money I saved as the CEO. In fact, we know somebody, Josh Turner, who runs a fantastic company called Link Selling. You know, I was working with him on his certification program, and he said, you know, uh, we're thinking of, um, in fact, we're signed a lease or about to sign a lease to double our space uh, here uh, where they were. I think it's in Cincinnati. And I said, wait, before you do that, read my book. And he did. And he canceled the lease. On the spot, must have saved him hundreds of thousands of dollars. Did the same with Tony Robbins. When we were working together, Tony understood the processes and the power of what we had built at BBI and decided not to go ahead and lease that next building 
and instead put another million dollars of post-tax money in his pocket. That's the power of virtual operations, Steve. And, you know, every day the technology gets better and better. It's almost amazing. It's almost like from outer space, if you would have looked at this 10 years ago. Yeah, and uh, having been on both sides of it, you know, having owned a company where we were very much had to be, you know, in a physical space because of both the the point in history, uh, technology really wasn't wasn't available to facilitate this, and also the type of work that we did. Um, a large part of our workforce had to to physically be located uh, together, um, and now being on the other side of it and having a one hundred percent virtual organization, um, I can tell you. Uh, there, there are a lot of really great differences, but all of the things that you might fear about it, uh, that you don't have people at hand, uh, I have found none of those to be true. And, uh, um, and, and there are very few things that, that you can't get done, um, you know, in a, in a virtual situation that you might otherwise get done. And, and when I say very few, I mean, my biggest complaint is my assistant isn't close and uh, she can't come reorganize my office. Although I could probably <laughs> have, have somebody come and do that, you know? Um, sure. but, but that's about my biggest complaint. Um, so I, I think it can work fantastically well. Uh, I want to take a, a quick break. Um, hang on. We'll be back in just a second with more from Mitch. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. All right, welcome back. We're here with Mitch Russo. And uh, Mitch, I want to continue our conversation on virtual organizations. And um, I know you're doing a, a tremendous amount of work right now in, in that area. You're also working on um, on certification programs and all kinds of things for, for businesses. But, um, but specifically with virtual organizations, what's the big What's the big kind of holdup that would prevent somebody from making the move? Where do they get stuck? Well, they get stuck in the false belief that they're not going to be able to retain control of their workforce. And here's here's the key to that. In Besides the technology, what it really means is that you as the CEO need to be a communicator. And in my book, almost the first quarter of the book is spent on the mindset of the virtual CEO. And if you read the book, Steve, you remember I spend a lot of time on this because it's so important. Mindset is more important than almost anything else because if you are the type of person that loves to communicate, then this is a perfect fit for you. If it's if you're not the person who loves to communicate, then you work on this and you become better at it. And by becoming better at it, what you end up doing is becoming closer to the people who work with you and the people who work for you. This is the first key and the first step in building a culture virtually. Now, we've heard the word culture before, and we know how important culture is. In fact, Steve, as you know, I build culture into every program that I build for my clients. But here's the key. When you don't see people on a daily basis, the illusion is there can't be a culture. 
And that's wrong. There is a culture. You create the culture and you nurture that culture just like you would if those people were standing around you in a circle. That's the beauty of doing it virtually. And like I said before, all of the impediments disappear. We don't care whether people show up at 8 a.m. or not. We don't care about how late they stay. What we care about is how well they do their job, how productive they are, and how happy they are. Now we have a different measurement. We're measuring happiness of our staff instead of the other things like whether or not they're on time. Isn't that a better way to measure? Oh, I think so. Um, and and it, the, the thing that we found with it is because it, it gives your team members some flexibility that they didn't have before, that they – because you're giving them that, and you alluded to this earlier, because you're giving them that, that, that they couldn't otherwise have, they will go to great lengths to make sure that, that uh, they're successful in the work that you've asked them to do. Um, you know, so they'll put in extra effort and, and not look for, um, you know, what's in it for me all the time, because they already know what's in it for them. You know, they've That's got right. this great opportunity to be flexible, um, especially at a time when a, a lot of their peers don't have that. And, uh, and so there's a really great contrast, I think, in the, the, the employment marketplace right now between those who are, uh, are working in an organization like this and have the flexibility and, and those that don't. Um, and, and those that have it are, are, I think, very appreciative of it. I agree. And that appreciation comes through in, in so many ways. Uh, and the other thing a bit about sick days, sick days basically go away. So if you're paying out 10, 12 sick days a year, for the most part, if people can work from home, they don't claim a sick day. They just go, they just sit down and get to work. Another thing is that attrition basically goes away. You don't have people going and leaving for other jobs. Why? They have the greatest job in the world. They could work in their pajamas. They could work anytime they want. Why would they leave the company? All of these things go away. The HR department st starts to look a little bit like a ghost town because it's just so easy to manage happy people. It's that simple. So all these things are terrific benefits of being virtual. So w what do you say to the business owner who, I mean, they, they have a legitimate need for having a group of people, maybe not their entire team, but a group of people who are together in one place, maybe they deliver service. I'm, I'm thinking, um, I know my, my wife's uh, a manager in uh, an eye clinic, and obviously you can't outsource the people who are seeing the patients, right? Or you can't, exactly. can't make them virtual. They've got to be there. But there are a lot of other roles that that, uh, that maybe could be virtual. What do you say to that business owner as they approach looking at this? See, again, we're not saying that if, if you're a dentist's office, you have to go virtual. That, that's just silly. Same with the restaurants. It's a little hard to serve a good sandwich virtually. So ideally, there are going to be places that still require people and many places that will. But here's the interesting thing. Once you take a closer look at that business, you realize that you're housing people that don't need to be housed. And what I mean by that, give me an example. So I, I know the story about a meatpacking company, and, I, and I, I thought I'd bring it up because it's relevant. New York Meatpacking Company is growing. In fact, their, their product is so good, they're expanding all over the country. But the problem is, is that the meatpacking district in New York is very small. And for them to move facilities would be almost 
deadly. I mean, they it would be millions of dollars to move all their refrigeration equipment, their their lines, their product lines, their their butcher lines, and all that stuff. So the suggestion that I had made is, look, why don't we take your accounting staff, your sales staff, your purchasing people, and all of your marketing people, and let send them home, and then rebuild just simple office modification, get rid of all those offices, keep the conference room, because you'll need that, but get rid of most of those offices and expand it into production area. Well, these guys saved millions of dollars trying to move a meatpacking company by going virtual, by spending the least amount of money and by getting the biggest impact by taking those components of their business that could be moved into a virtual environment. Yeah, I think I love it. And uh, great, great uh, anecdote. I think that that really uh, brings the point home of how, how to approach looking at this, no matter what type of business you're in. Now, Mitch, I know you're you're involved in a ton of different things. Um, you're helping folks create certification programs. You just launched a new podcast, um, which I want to make sure we tell people how to go find that. Um, you're an avid photographer, actually an award-winning photographer. Um, what, what's really got you fired up right now? What are you most excited about that you're working on? So, you know, it's funny. I, what I, I really have to tell you, the thing I'm loving so much in my life right now is my podcast. I, I, I never expected it would be this much fun. I never realized the, the incredible value of connecting with these amazing high-level people like you, Steve, and and being able to interview people and, and get deep into their story and, and share what they know with my listeners. I, I am focused on entrepreneurs who have started something and are beginning to grow it. So my audience, my avatar is that beginning business person, usually somebody who is either retired and starting over or somebody younger in their 30s who are thinking about or started the process of building something after work, but they're still working full time even. So these are the people that need the wisdom and brilliance that my guests can help and bring to the bring to this group. And that's what I'm loving about this podcast so much. So my podcast, which is, you can go find it right on my website, it's mitchrusso.com. And right up on top, there's a podcast tab or a, a, a link, and just click on that and sign up for the podcast. You'll get a notice when a new podcast is published, and you're going to get the 37 tips. The 37 tips, Steve, are the tips that people like you who I interview each contribute to this amazing little tip sheet. It's more like a tip ebook these days, but and the tips are amazing too. I mean, there's tips in there from top people who might never have shared a little nugget of their wisdom. So go get the tip sheets and go take a look at the podcast and subscribe if you like it because it's, and listen, I mean, we've had some amazing people so far and oh my goodness, the lineup right through the end of the year is breathtaking. So go take a look at mitchrusso.com, click on the podcast button and and sign up. That's fantastic. It's it's an excellent podcast. I've uh, I've got it on my iPhone now, updating every time you put out a new episode. So uh, I've been I've been following right along, and uh, uh, can't wait to see what what you have uh, coming down the line because the guests have already been amazing. So I encourage everybody to go uh, go subscribe, go listen to it. It's it's well worth uh, the the investment of time and, and energy that you'll put into listening to it. 
Well, Mitch, this has been fantastic. Um, always enjoy connecting with you. Thanks so much for uh, coming on and sharing some of your wisdom with us today and investing a little time with us. Um, any any parting thoughts you'd like to share with folks? Sure. Uh, I talked a lot about the book, uh, and I just want to invite people that if they do decide to get the book, there's a resource center that you get access to as a buyer of the book. So if you take your invoice number from Amazon and you go to invisibleorganization.com and click the resource tab, enter that number and you'll get what I think of as the continuation of the book. You know, as technology gets updated, you can't update the book, but you can update the website. And that's what's been happening. So go on over to invisibleorganization.com and get access to the resource center so you can see all the new stuff that runs across my desk that I put up there for you. Yeah, and I encourage everybody to read the book. Uh, if you if you're already starting with uh, you know a virtual organization, you've got some virtual team members, or if you're thinking that it might be a fit, um, I have not found any better resource. And uh, you know, and I've looked for a number of years now. So thankful when the book came out because uh, we were already down the road a little bit with it, but um, it really helped us get clear on on some of the blind spots we had. Um, with our team and, uh, and it's helped as we've grown. So go get the book. It's the invisible organization available on Amazon, I presume. And is that the best place for folks to go find it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So go find it on Amazon, the invisible organization, Mitch Russo. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure and I look forward to talking with you soon. My pleasure, Steve. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the unstoppable CEO podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.